So today I'm going to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, and it's the beginning of a new series that I'm going to start, and it's titled Normal People Living a Supernormal Natural Life. And the first part of this series is titled Synergy. And what I have really been experiencing lately here at Rock City is that people are coming in from other churches or coming in from other denominations or coming in even from other cities because they're hearing about what's happening at Rock City Church. And the challenge is that not a lot of people understand what really makes us different and not a lot of people really believe it when they hear about it. So there are people that I've known from my past or people that a lot of you have known from your past or there's, there's a word and a current that's moving through the city where people are hearing about what's happening at Rock City. And that's because the Bible says wisdom is justified by our children meaning that when people start to have their lives changed, when they get healthy, when their families and their marriages get healthy, when people that were once broken and dead in their sin, hurting and an addiction start to get changed and transformed, people are gonna hear about it. It's, it's a natural byproduct of the fruit of a healthy family. And so what's been happening lately is a lot of people have been coming and getting transformed just by the atmosphere and the culture of what's happening here because it's normal. And it's what normal should be. Now, there's a big difference between normal and abnormal. And we're gonna talk about that today. But we have to get a healthy narrative and understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. A lot of us have church hurts. A lot of us have institutionalized church backgrounds. A lot of us have not been to church in five, 10, 15, 20 years. A lot of us grew up as a child going to a certain denominational church, but then walked away. And then suddenly we come to Rock City and we start to experience life. We start to get healed. We start to experience what healthy and normal should look like. And today I want to paint a picture for all of us of what normal really does look like. Because I'm not out to just build another church. I'm out to build a family. And if this doesn't have the understanding of family and a healthy culture, then we're never gonna be able to go where God's called us to go and do what he wants us to do. What really sustains life is not a church and programs. What sustains life is unity, common unity, community, real family, people doing life together. And there are a lot of other narratives, but the church, early church grew because they did life together. And if we find ourselves isolated, secluded, or detached from the body, you're never gonna be able to step into what God has for you, ever. And this isn't a ploy for me to get you to give more money. This isn't a ploy for me to get you to join this church. It's not about nickels and noses. It's not about more people in the seat and more money in the coffers. This is about an understanding that God builds a body and the body needs every single part, no matter how seemingly insignificant people think they are. The little toe is as important as the rest of the body. And in fact, the Bible gives a whole narrative of the fact that no body part can say to each other, I don't have need of you. But there's a lot of us that are walking in, in different stages of life, different understandings. There's a lot of diversity and a lot of different belief sets here. And we need that because God builds unity in the midst of diversity, hands and feet are a lot different than each other. And so we need each other and we need to have a proper narrative and understanding of what normal looks like. And so I had a friend that lost his wife a little over a year ago and he's very devastated, like been in the toilet. He's not been able to find a church that he could connect to in Missouri, he lives in Missouri. 
And he and I have known each other for a very long time. This guy fell into a real pit of despair. He's battling a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear on medication. He's really, really hurting and broken. And so he'd call me a lot. And I'd try to kind of counsel him over the phone, but it wasn't going anywhere. So finally I said, listen, you need to just come and visit Rock City. You need to come and get around mamas and papas and people that will really love you. And so he did, he finally came. And within the first visit, he was smiling. He's like, wow, I've never felt so much love. I feel like I'm around normal people. And, and what happened was that normalcy of who we are started to transform his life. That normalcy of what kingdom life, and I'm gonna show it to you today of what I believe it looks like. But the normalcy of love and community and family and the presence and worship and true power to transform lives. When he experienced that, he found himself shifting automatically. So we had Jordan and Ruth, a couple from Michigan that came down. Brad McClendon, one of our overseers and one of my spiritual fathers, connected me with Jordan. Jordan and his wife have kind of come to a big place of transition, and they've been tired of doing church the way that they've been doing it for so long. They're basically burned out with church. So Brad can, tells him about Rock City. And Brad says, you know, Rock City, it's not about ministry. It's about family and community, and they're a real tribe. They've got real narratives of what healthy and normal should look like, and they're doing it right. And Jordan says, I don't believe you. So Brad says, call him and find out for yourself. So Jordan calls me, and he kind of grills me and asks me all these questions about how I lead this church and how we do things and the narratives that we use and the way we do life. And he goes, I don't believe you. He goes, I've never seen or heard anybody doing that. And it doesn't mean that we're the only ones, but it does mean we're far and few between. And he said, I don't believe you. Now, he didn't quite say it that nice. He said it with another narrative. He's like, I don't believe you. I said, well, bro, all I can tell you is you've got to come and see for yourself. And so Jordan and Ruth come, or Jordan comes and visits by himself first about a month ago, and he's like completely rocked. And in fact, we only had normal Sunday services, but there was a wedding, and it was Oscar and Olivia who got married, I don't know, a month or two, a couple months ago. And they got to, and Jordan got to experience healthy kingdom culture and family the way that it was supposed to be, and he left totally transformed. He's like, I gotta bring my wife here. And so Ruth comes, and Ruth is awesome. She's a little Puerto Rican Cuban girl. They got, you know, a couple kids that are our age. And they're just amazing. And so they come to visit, and immediately when they come, we pray for them over at the coffee shop, and my wife and, and uh, Lauren are laying hands on Ruth, and my wife gets a prophetic word for her and says, I see you getting an alignment and a, an adjustment just like going to the chiropractor's office. Now, that's, that's somewhat out of the norm for my wife, but my wife knows when the Holy Spirit is moving and upon her to speak the word, and it was powerful. Well, midway through the conference, Prophet Kevin Leal calls Ruth out and says, the Lord says, I'm giving you a chiropractic adjustment and I'm aligning you. And they didn't compare notes, right? And so she's just totally rocked because she's experiencing normal, healthy family the way it should look like. And what the Lord has begun to show me is that people are gonna come here hurting, broken, oppressed, possessed in all kinds of dysfunction from witchcraft to broken marriages, to broken homes, to fatherlessness, and they're gonna start to get healthy just by being here. 
They won't even have to answer altar calls or go through healing and deliverance meetings. Once people get around normal and they see family the way it's supposed to be, it's gonna shift them. Let me give you a good example. Some of our best friends who aren't here at this service, they were here last service, Josh and Meredith Holland just adopted two children, Cohen and Kaya. Kaya is one, Cohen is three, right? Now, they haven't been able to have children for years and we walked through that and we wept and we cried and we travailed and we cried out to the Lord. And they got a prophetic word from Prophet Kevin many, many years ago that they were gonna adopt. My wife was having dreams about them adopting. So finally, they decided to go ahead and become foster parents. There are hundreds of thousands of children in our community that do not have parents. Fatherlessness is, the, I believe, the leading cause of dysfunction, crime, and darkness in our society, right after godlessness. I mean, take God out, and that's what you get. You get fatherlessness. And so one of the narratives that we have at Rock City Church a lot is that the father is looking for a family. So he gave his son to rescue sons and daughters, right? But at the same time, people are looking for families. And when people that are alone and isolated and secluded or have been hurt by dysfunctional institutionalized church step into what's normal, they should receive an impartation from us into them that brings healing. Now, a lot of people will come with shame. A lot of people come and they put me under the microscope. With some of you, I'm under the microscope right now. There's this trying to decide if you really like me thing. Like, or you really trust me. I feel it and I know it and that's somewhat normal. There's 350 churches in Corpus Christi, 800 in the Coastal Bend. Most of us have been to some kind of church or another. And a lot of us have experienced a lot of dysfunction in church. And so I get it. I know that I'm under the microscope. But because I know who I am and because I'm confident in who I am as a son and I don't find my value based on how good I preach or whether you compliment me or not, I can walk confidently and not be an emotional roller coaster. I can walk confidently in who I am. For years and years and years, I used to be in the toilet after service if nobody complimented me or if I didn't preach good. But I learned that God loves me as a son and my value comes by my identity, not how good of a preacher I am. Because when you preach about 50 Sundays a year, you're gonna have a bad Sunday sometimes. I don't ever want to but I learned to not define how good I am based on what I do, but rather based on God's love for my life. Now imagine a culture that's built like that. That's what we wanna build, right? And so people are gonna come in with hurt and shame. A lot of you are battling drugs, addiction, broken marriages. You're really struggling with your mental capacity about the things that God has for you or who God is. And some of you even drug, barely drug yourself to church today. And what I want you to know is I'm so glad that you're here. And the Lord is glad that you're here because what you're stepping into is something that's authentic and genuine that's real kingdom life. And again, we're not the only one and I'm not trying to toot, toot our horn, but you better believe I'm gonna believe in what we're doing because I believe in you, because I believe in family, because I believe in community. And I believe God has a designated way to build that and in what normal should look like. So people are gonna come they're gonna stay around, and that's what I encourage you to do is stick around because something happens that's like osmosis. It's contagious. I'm gonna show it to you in the Bible, that if you just get around me for any period of time, if we hang out for coffee or go to the beach or do anything in life together, there's gonna be this transference 
from me to you. And what happens in a healthy culture is now you start transferring life to one another because ministry is transference of life. It's not about how great my anointing is, how great I preach, the fire, all those. I love all that. But really what it is, it's transferring life that God has put into me, and now I'm supplying it to you. I'm supplying what God has given me to you. I've become fruitful so that you can pick the fruit from my life. Now, don't, it's not just me. It's not a David Bendette thing, but I'm teaching you by example because when you become fruitful, now the person next to you gets to pick the fruit from you. That's what it means to be fruitful. It means that the fruit's not underripe or it's not rotten. It means it's just right. It's ready for the picking, right? And so normal looks like something. Some of the narratives that I have for normal are, of course, family. Mamas and papas, sons and daughters, real authentic family. What I want to be more than anything is a good father. I want to be a good father to my kids. I want to be a good husband to my wife, but I want to be a good father to this church not just be an instructor in Christ. That means I really pastor. Now, there's hundreds and hundreds of people coming. So the way that I pastor you is corporately, sometimes individually, if I catch you on a Wednesday night, on a super normal natural night, or if I see you at the altar or see you walking in or catch you at the coffee shop. But the greatest way that I can do that is by raising up other mothers and fathers and, and people that will love you like I love you. That's what we have to do. We reproduce, okay? So the Bible says that the entire church is built on the apostles and the prophets. And what that means is that you have to have a culture that is prophetic and apostolic in nature. And what that means is that I'm about reproduction. It means that I'm about engendering. It means that I'm about training and equipping and sending. It means that I'm about seeing healthy families outside of this church that are breaking bread and doing life together. But in here, we're having shared experiences where you're getting trained and equipped to go do something with what you hear. Not just listen week in and week out, but to be challenged and inspired to become something more than what you are today. So family, another thing is that Normal should look like all of us walking in real agape love, not just brotherly love. Brotherly love in the Bible is the term phileo. That's where we get the word Philadelphia, and it means benevolent brotherly love. But the, even the mindset behind brotherly love is what I'm doing for you. And it's often got to be reciprocal. I do for you, you do for me, and we all walk in a benevolent love. All other kinds of denominations or all other kinds of religions can even walk in phileo, brotherly love. But the highest form of love is agape love. Agape love says, I can look at a new family, I can look at Mark and Tina, I can look at all of you, not for what you're gonna do for me, but what I can do for you, period. And it's not based on your money, your color of your skin, your social status, how much you know and don't know, how weak or strong you are. It means that I look at you as a true authentic body part that I can supply to and love the way Jesus did. So Jesus is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate one that walked in agape love. Jesus would lay his life down fully at the cross without taking any consideration of your worthiness or the value of what you can give back, right? So Jesus laid his life down with pure agape love that says your value does, isn't a precondition of what I'm gonna do for you. I love you regardless. The Bible says to esteem others before yourself. The Bible says do unto others as you would do to yourself. 
And so esteeming others before yourself says, I care more about you and propelling you than my own self. I care more about you walking in your destiny than what you can do for me. That's real agape love. I'm not doing this because I think you guys got a bunch of money and you're so gifted and talented. You never know who's gonna walk in here. It means that I can love the person with AIDS living on the streets as much as the multimillionaire living in the fat house, big house on the hill. It means we love everybody equally because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was, would, would love everyone equally regardless of their value, especially when he went to the cross. It means that we have the narrative of tribe. When I think about tribe, here's how I define tribe. Tribe is your people are my people. Tribe is where you go, I'll go. Tribe is what you say, I'll say. Tribe is I stand together with you in the trenches of life no matter what happens because we are unified together as one. Normal means that there's true transparency without any craftiness. It means that there's no political cunningness going on in the back scenes. It means that, no, we're not perfect, but we have a lot of forgiveness and mercy and grace. It means that we're all discovering and learning together. It means that there's no political dysfunctional thing. It means that we wanna really be an authentic family that has a lot of mercy and forgiveness and even room for failure. It means we're in it for the right reasons and we're transparent about it. It means that we're not peddling the word of God for profit. This is 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says that we're not like so many peddling the word of God for profit. And peddling the word of God for profit means that people are in it for the money. It means that people are in it for self-gain. It means that people are in it to get their self-esteem needs met. It means that I'm valued based on what I do. It means that I'm valued based on what I can provide. And that's not the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture is that I'm valued because of who I am and how God created me and made me to be. And because of that, out of the overflow, I give back to you. That's what real value looks like. It means that we're not chasing titles and positions. It means we're here to serve and we let the Lord promote in his way and his time. Let me give you an example of this, okay? So in Philippians chapter two, there's a scripture that says, let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, came in the likeness of a man and made himself a bondservant to all and of no reputation. So Jesus would not consider it robbery to be equal with God, meaning that when you, when you transform into God's son and become in his form and fashion, you get all the benefits he gets and it's not robbery. And then it says that in order to do that, in order to transform into the form of God, I need to be willing to love you right where you're at, just like Jesus did, and I need to make myself of no reputation. So we make ourselves of no reputation. But think about this for a minute. In Acts chapter six, the deacons were to get promoted to do the work of the ministry because they had a good reputation. So how do you reconcile those two things? How do you reconcile the fact that, that we're to make ourselves of no reputation, but promotion comes because you have a good reputation? Think about that for a minute. Let me tell you how. Because when you make yourself of no reputation, you get a reputation. 
Because when you're really out to love and serve people the way Jesus did, and it's not about titles and positions or being seen, if you wanna know one of the greatest places to serve in this church, I'll tell you where it is. It's with a toilet brush on a Saturday morning. I'm not kidding. You know how God exalted me in my early days when I was in jail? He said, clean that toilet, that porcelain throne, the best that you can. And when those prisoners in jail were mad that I got that job and they were pooping and peeing all over the toilet, God said, you clean it up really good. And that toilet brush became like a gold wand to me because I was never too above from cleaning the toilet. And I'm saying to everybody here, and I don't say it to boast or brag, but even I will come and clean this church. And when I got a, a, a mop handle in my hand and the, the workers are saying, no, pastor, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, step back, because you're gonna rob my blessing. One of the greatest things, if I could clean prison cells, you can clean God's house. And it's not about being seen and it's not about being recognized. And it doesn't mean that we don't wanna honor you and recognize you at times. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we've gotta build a culture that's about laying our lives down for one another and making ourselves of no reputation. If you have to be seen and recognized, that's a problem. And so biblically, Jesus would get highly exalted because he humbled himself. And so that's what Philippians 2 says. It says, let this mind think the way Jesus thought. It wasn't robbery because he came in the form of man. He, he became an, a son of man and he served men all the way to the cross and died for you. And because he died for you, he got highly exalted. And it wasn't about reputation. That's why so many times in Jesus's early on ministry, he'd say, don't tell anybody what I did. And when the people started coming from all the highways and the bys, guess what he did? He retreated. Or he went to another small town until it was time for him to go to Jerusalem, right? So I'm, I'm summing up for you guys what normal looks like. Normal should be supernormal natural, meaning that we should have a place where God's presence resides. I don't wanna go to a dead church. I don't wanna go to a place where, God, where it's not animated and vibrant and alive and there's no miracles and signs and wonders. I don't wanna go to a place where people aren't getting flamed on and are really being saved because the word saved means to be made whole. And it also means Zoe, if you look up the word Zoe, it means to be vibrant and animated. Not dead and a hunchback, sad, lemon-sucking person. It means I'm alive. How do you act when you've been raised from the dead? Let's dance and shout. So what we do is we, 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 we don't have it all figured out. I don't have the, any other narrative than the Bible. All my own churches that I grew up in were institutionalized and dysfunctional, but I learned so much from them. Thank God. But I also learned what not to do. And you know what I want? I want a place where we can have experiences and encounters and share them together. I want a place where your life can be really transformed because if I can really get you to worship and start to linger in his presence, God can do it. And then it doesn't become about the next altar call and the next laying on of hands. And I gotta have another fix from the pastor and the next man. Suddenly I'm being transformed because I'm opening myself up. Normal looks like we're breaking shame out of people's life. We're renouncing shame. 
It means, you know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I battled pornography. I was smoking pot. For the first year, as a spirit-filled, born-again Christian, I battled all kinds of addictions. And I was too afraid to tell anybody about it. I had shame. And I was afraid that if I told somebody, they would shame me. Now, imagine if you're in a culture where you're never gonna get shamed. I have people all the time tell me, I battled pornography yesterday. I battled with this. I'm battling this thing. My marriage, my struggles, my eyes, my this, my that. I'm battling all kinds of different things. And you know what I do? I tell them I love them. Thank you for sharing it and bringing it to the light because once you bring it into the light, now it can be covered by love and now we can deal with it versus you hiding it. Remember the story about the man with the high-heeled red shoes? I was pulled aside in the lobby that said, Pastor, you let that man with those high-heeled red shoes, woman's platform stripper shoes, come to this church? I can't believe you let him come there. Come here. I said, let me tell you something. The difference between you and that person is that he wears his issues out in public for everyone to see. You got yours hidden in your heart. That's why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you could be healed. Your healing process starts when you come out of shame. Your healing process starts when you feel like and know that you're not gonna get shamed and you're in a culture of love and care and you still will be challenged said, you know what, that will kill you. Let's get it out of your life and teaches you the proper way, not more religious do's and don'ts, but a fascination and a wonder with Jesus. You know what you need to do? Take your addiction and get right up here to the front in the midst of all these people. Lift your hands up high and say, I don't care anymore. God, I'm giving it all to you. You cast your cares upon him and you stop allowing yourself to be inhibited of what other people are thinking are gonna say. And now witches and warlocks can come to this church with the intent to curse us, which happens stuff you don't even know that I deal with. And they come up after service and say, I came here to curse you, but the love of God was so strong in this culture and that it, it was falling to the ground and coming back in my own stomach and making me sick. And now they tell me that I have witches that I'm demonically possessed. And you know what I say? Come here, let me hug you. Because I'm not worried about what's in them getting on me because I'm covered in the blood and I've renounced the hidden areas of shame. Now I'm gonna infect them. Because there's no yin-yang theology in the kingdom. There's no yin-yang Christianity. Lose your yin-yang. I'm just letting you know, lose the yin-yang. Because they're not equal. People need to see normal. They need to see sons and daughters that are walking in real authority. You can quote scripture all day long and come to church for years of your life and have no authority. You don't get authority just because you go to church. You don't get authority just because you quoted scripture. If you don't have the power and the authority that backs it up, even the, de- even the devil uses scripture and quotes scripture. He gave power and authority to his disciples. And now we, we live what we profess. Now when I quote a scripture, it's a real sword that will either cut you down or build you up not religious protocol. We need to lose the religious protocol. Kingdom culture will define what's normal and, the, and what family looks like, and it demonstrates that. Look at Psalm 68, six. I love this scripture. This is a, a heartbeat scripture for this church. 
And let me tell something to every one of you. I don't care if you're addicted, depressed, or hung out with Ouija boards this morning. You come up here and I will pray for you and hug you and love you and forgive you in a second because those things have no power over God's love and who he is and what he did. And last week, when we had a deliverance thing on Saturday night, we had two barrelfuls of Harry Potter and Twilight and Ouija boards and magician staffs and all kinds of, of seance books that came into this church for us to burn. And I know they're like, oh man, don't say the Harry Potter thing. Look, you gotta get a conviction from the Lord and you have to ask Jesus what he wants you to do. That word was the right word for that night and people here recognized and realized that what they were reading and what they were adhering to and what they were allowing in was demonic and not okay and affecting and influencing them. But I'm not out to put that conviction in you. You gotta get it by the Holy Spirit. And if I love you really, really, really well, despite whatever you're doing, God's love and conviction will correct you. And it doesn't mean we won't correct you at times either but you gotta be in a culture that loves you well. So look at this. God sets the solitary in families. And when the solitary, which the word solitary means secluded, alone, and isolated. And if you are secluded, alone, and isolated, you're not part of God's family. He wants you to be together with one another. He doesn't want you secluded and isolated and alone. That's what he wants. And so he says he brings the solitary into families and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. And so when Josh and Meredith adopted their children, they were in a daycare every single day ordered by the state. And every day, their mother and father were daycare workers. Their parents were out prostituting themselves, hooked on drugs. And here's these little children that are bound up in isolation and loneliness, just like millions of children are now, like even a lot of us grew up in. I was one of them. But because of the spirit of adoption, now Cohen and Kaya Holland will, instead of living in solitary confinement and isolation, being bound up, will live in prosperity. And when I tell you prosperity, make sure you have a good narrative of what prosperity really is. Because it's not how much money you got. Because people can have, a, have millions and be miserable. I know a lot of them. In fact, in the Old Testament, prosperity is defined as being mentally put together and having a mental, intellectual understanding that causes you to make right choices. Joshua chapter one. The Lord says to Joshua, when you get in the promised land, if you do what I tell you, you don't go left, you don't go right, but you stay in the way, you'll have prosperity and success in all that you do because here's how it works. If I'm bound up in my mind and in my thinking, I'll make poor choices and decisions that don't lead me into prosperity. Because prosperity is not just money, it's being holistic. Because you can't define happiness based on how much money you have. You define it based on how mentally put together you are, which comes from being spiritually put together. Got it? So when we are brought into a family, we are brought into healthy mental capacity. We're brought into a place where people are thinking straight. They're not goofy. People aren't led by titles and positions. They're led by love. People are make, everybody's making themselves of no reputations. I love you and I'm so glad that you're here, whether you give money or not. 
powerful. It's the, way, it's the way this should be. Now I just need everybody here to get on board with it and we'll all be good. <laughs> now I want you to notice the contrast. Those that reject and rebel will live in a dry land. That's why Jesus used the narrative in the parable of the sower, the seed falling on the rock. The rock, a rocky heart has no moisture and is not nourished, hence it can't cultivate the seed. And so, God doesn't want us to live rebellious. He wants us to live unified together in the context of a family. So when things are normal, you won't even have to try to minister to people. I don't even, I never have to try. I never have to try. I just gotta hang around you. You just gotta be around. Because it happens, it's contagious. It's, it's like osmosis. You're gonna get it. It's a fire that burns bright. That flickering flames and sparks leap and jump on one another when they get around the fire. It's effective love that transforms the lives around us, just like adoption does. It's a fire that's ignited by culture and by the presence of God. The presence of God and worship and authentic love will transform people's lives. So let me show you how that's, this works. What's in me should naturally affect you. It's from my spirit to your conscience. Not just me, but I'm using me as an example. Okay, so each of you now become effective to one another. Let's look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to show you how this works. So it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? If you go back to chapter 3, the entire chapter is talking about the fact that we no longer are under the law of Moses, but we're under a new covenant with Jesus where we can now behold him face to face because the veil's been ripped away. And it concludes with the scripture that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And it's freedom to behold Jesus as in a mirror. This is the end of chapter three, okay? And it says that because we behold Jesus as in a mirror, I become what I look at. So if I'm beholding him, I become a reflection of him. What you look at is what you become a reflection of, okay? And so he says, because we're beholding Jesus with unveiled faces, it's the end of chapter three, I'm giving you the context. Because we, we behold him, we can look at him. Because the veil was ripped away, we have a ministry of reconciliation and we receive mercy. So now I become a reflection of health. I don't lose heart. So now I'm constantly being encouraged by God's mercy so that when I look at you, I'm reflecting Jesus. And now you will reflect back what I'm reflecting to you. This is the way life works, beholding each other as mirrors. It's a mystery, but it's in the Bible that we look at Jesus as in a mirror and it transforms us from glory to glory. And now I become a reflection of what I see. And now I'm reflecting Jesus to you and people reflect what's inside of you. It's true. People that are unhappy, hurting people, hurt people, people that are nasty, that are mean, that are victim mentalities, that's contagious too. And then as soon as people are like that, what do we say? I don't even wanna be around that person anymore. But if you're beholding Jesus and you become reflected, you know what you say? I gotta get around that person because they need, they need what I've got, okay? And so since we have this ministry, the ministry to behold him, I now receive mercy and I don't lose heart personally. So I'm never losing heart. And that's why I wanna build a church where each of you, 
are spending time with Jesus, getting your daily bread, having real encounters, not just going through religious duty of reading your Bible, but literally communing and talking with the Lord. Because when you start reflecting Jesus, when you start having conversations with the Lord, and look, people are gonna, gonna think that you're super spiritual a lot of times. And I don't want that narrative in this church. You know, somebody said that I don't wanna be super spiritual, but God told me something. You mean God talked to you? Ooh. <laughs> That's normal, everybody. That's normal. There's no such thing as super spiritual. Now, if God's talking to you and it's unbiblical, we got a problem. That's why we need measuring and we need doctrine and we need family, okay? And so, so since we have the spirit, we don't lose heart. Look at verse two. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. To renounce something means I have an utter disdain and I vocally express it. It means that I'm renouncing. Hey, pastor, I want to let you know I really battled with this yesterday, I'm, but I want to renounce that. I used to believe these lies. I used to do these other things that were bringing shame in my life, but the first place that shame gets killed is in bringing it to the light and renouncing it. It's saying, I don't want to do that anymore. It's saying that I'm done with those things that are bringing shame into my life. And there's nothing hidden. Everybody say, there's nothing hidden. <laughs> now that's hard for some of you because you've been rejected. You're really afraid of what somebody's gonna think of you if you tell them, that was my story. If people really knew what I was doing, they would shame me or reject me. Not at Rock City Church. And I don't wanna hear any of that. And fortunately, that hasn't been happening. I can't remember the last time anybody said, man, I told somebody something, and boy, they really shamed me. They made me feel like crap. No. You got a lot of people here that have broken, checkered paths and have made a lot of mistakes. Because you have received mercy, you can give mercy. Right? So it says, we don't walk in craftiness. The word crafty means I'm cunning and deceptive. We don't walk in craftiness or handle the word of God deceitfully. And sadly, there's a lot of people that are, that are in deception about God's word. They've got deceived doctrine, deceived belief systems, or they're using the word for their own personal profit and personal gain. A lot, there's people that do that, but not in a healthy, normal kingdom culture, right? So people walk in, man, I, man, I don't feel any of that weird religious stuff. I man, I, I don't feel any of that stuff from the people that I talked to. I met so-and-so and they were just so kind and nice and offering and loving and caring. And so we're not walking in deception, but here's what we're doing. This is what I wanted to show you in this whole scripture. With a manifestation of the truth comes something really powerful. It's the commending of ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. If, if you read this without understanding, you would read it this way. Because I'm manifesting the truth and I've become so spiritual. Because I have arrived, I'm commending myself to you and to your conscience because I've done so good. It's commending. I'm going to commend you. Think about, in the natural, you think the word means you're getting commended, right? That's not what it means. Here's what it means. The word commending is the, the word and understanding for synergy. It means that I now 
am drawn close to you and I now can become one with you and have unity because I'm not hiding anything anymore and I don't have any more shame. Now the truth is manifested out of me so that I can become one with you regardless of where you're at. Because you know what synergy means? Synergy means that when I cooperate and dwell and work together with you, the sum of the two becomes greater than the sum of the one. It means that the benefit of me by myself becomes much greater when I'm together with you. And it means that no matter where you are, I benefit together by becoming one with you because we need each other. That's what commending ourselves means. It means now we have a culture that's open. So I'm so proud of all of you for bringing stuff and renouncing all the things that you did. But it means that you don't have a bunch of people walking in deceit and hiding things. You have a culture of transparency and freedom and love and care and acceptance. That's what it means. So it means now that there's truth in your life, it's manifesting in a way that draws you closer to everybody else's conscience. It means that now I'm infectious and I'm gonna infect you. I'm gonna infect you. Just stick around. Just stay around. Not just me, but the person next to you. It means that now, once you get free, you're gonna actually partner up and have synergy with the person sitting right next to you. Right? It means we start to walk in what's normal. It means we live normal. You know, it's like Deuteronomy 6. You got, by the way, you guys doing okay? I'll just give you a few more things. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the most beautiful picture of normal. Let's look at verse 6, Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says that the commandments of God need to be in your heart. If it's not in your heart, it's never going to work. So you have to have it first inside of your heart. Now, when the commandments of the Lord get inside of your heart, something incredible happens. You have an overflow. So Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, let the commandments of the Lord be in your heart. But look at verse 7. Then you teach them diligently to your children and you do it in a normal way. Everything about this is normal. So what's in me comes out of the overflow because I've been taught diligently as a disciple, I get to teach my family diligently. And when do I teach them? Everywhere at all times. And I'm not being weird and Christianese religious about it. It's become normal. So now I'm teaching my children what God has taught me and what the Bible says Everywhere I go, in my house, when I'm going to the park, when I go to Schlitterbahn, when I go to the beach, it doesn't matter where I go. It's normal. And I don't have to speak a Christianese language because I live it. It's inside of me. It's like the air that I breathe. And it says, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, morning, night, at all times, this is Bible normal. And if there's no prayer and no scripture reading and no, no worship in your home, that's not normal. And I'm not saying it to beat you up. I don't want any of you to be in shame. But what I am out to show you is, look, the church is the clarion voice in a world of darkness. And if we don't say it, few people will hear it. And you can't rely on Christian TV to get it. Because you may get some good principles every now and then from Christian TV, but you don't get interaction. You don't get relationships. You don't get messy. You don't get measured. You don't have mamas and papas and brothers and sisters when you're isolated and alone. And so it says, at all times, we're to teach. When we rise up, lie down, look at verse eight. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand and they'll be as frontlets between your eyes. Is this super spiritual? 
This is normal to me. And this is what normal should look like. Look at verse nine. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now that doesn't mean when you come to my house, written all over this, the doorposts are a bunch of scriptures and you walk in and we have scriptures all over the wall. This is the understanding that my home and my life is rooted on the rock, that the gate of my heart has scripture written all over it. It means that inside of me are the commandments of the Lord. And now you just come over to our house and spend a little bit of time with us and you're gonna experience the presence and the life of God and what family normal and kingdom should look like. And that's what needs to be in your home. And more than that, well, maybe not more than that, but also with that, we need it here, okay? All right, I'm gonna show you just a few more things, okay? I want you to go to back to 2 Corinthians chapter four. And I want you to see that in verse two, that when we break deception and we're walking in truth and light, we have unity and synergy between one another. And that's where we get the understanding of the body of Christ. It's a lot of teaching on the body of Christ. Let me sum it up for you. In the body of Christ, it's simple. 1 Corinthians 12, 20. Everybody say unity in diversity. We're a lot different than each other in a lot of ways, aren't we? I mean, we're all so unique and we have a lot of different belief systems and come from a lot of different backgrounds. God designed it that way. He designed it that way because there are many, many members, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, there are many members yet one body. And you can't say, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the foot, I don't need you. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you, have your, can you lose a leg or a foot and still live and survive? Can you? You can, and you can do it abundantly. Just ask R.C. Nothing, she, nothing's hold this woman back. She's supernatural, and she's missing a leg or a knee or a foot or part of a leg. Thank you. And there's no shame about it. She'll preach the gospel and love and serve and volunteer to no end. She's a real mama. But if you lose your head, can you live? <laughs> but I want you to notice the point. Here's the context. You may think you're a little bitty pinky toe, but God says you're just as valuable to the whole body. Because the context of this is that the weakest member, if it's not nourished and apart, affects the whole body. You may think you're insignificant. Little old you, you're just a toenail. No, all of us need each other. We need every single body part. Now we don't go around calling each other pinky toes or toenails. Sometimes people feel like an ingrown toenail, but I don't tell them that, okay? <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that the seemingly most weakest becomes the greatest in the kingdom. The seemingly most insignificant, he, he's using a parable as an understanding of what his body's to be like is no one is to be outcast. Everybody matters and we all need each other. Y'all need all of each other. Get it? Just to strengthen and re reiterate this point, let's look at Ephesians 4.16. I love Ephesians 4.16 because it's talking about Jesus and the body of Christ. And the scripture for says Christ, the, Christ the head. It says Christ from whom the whole body, the body of Christ is joined and knit together. Guess what join and knit means? Synergy. 
It means that now I become unified with you and the benefit that we get, now two, three, four, five, five hundred thousands, millions all over the world, suddenly we become knit and unified together as a body. Now, when you get born again, you become a part of a church all over the world. But I'm not really bringing a lot of benefit to about millions and millions and millions of Christians unless I go see them, unless I'm supplying something for them. Would I benefit people in Africa if I never go and never send money? Just because I'm a Christian in Corpus Christi? If we don't send missionaries or send money or be a part or have a relationship together, there's no benefiting. And that's why God raises up a local church. You can be born again and you can be a part of brothers and sisters all over the world, but you miss the local body aspect of being joined and knit together. And you know how we get synergy? By relationship, by supplying. So this word supplies, we're knit together. How are we knit together? I want you to see this. You know what knits us together? By what every joint supplies. So my foot can do me no good if it's cut off, right? I can still survive. But if you're not here and we're not doing life together, we can't benefit each other. You know what the word supply means? In the Greek, the word is a compound word that's, it's called epikoriego. It means from supplying and choreographing from above. And here's what supply means. It means because I'm fully furnished and I have been supplied, I can now supply you. The only way supplying one another is gonna work is not by you serving out of duty and filling a gap. It's by you being filled up with the Holy Ghost and you doing it because you're so full. You've become a spiritual hoarder. I'm so cram-packed full, I have too much furniture inside of me that I gotta give it out. Pick the fruit, please. Pick the fruit. Please pick the fruit. I've never used that analogy before, but... Are you catching what I'm trying to say to you? Fruitful means that you're so ready, you can be picked right now. And that's the understanding is that I'm supplying because I've been supplied. And that's why this is never gonna work if you're not spending time with Jesus, getting intimate with him, reading your Bible, worshiping, breaking shame, being transparent, no reputation. I'm giving you the whole recipe today in a short, compact message of what is gonna make this church become what God wants it to become. And where you fit, every point fits, everybody fits here. But how, what does it look like? Well, it takes discovery, it takes time, it takes relationship. You know, how do you know what kind of tree you are? By the fruit you produce. So we watch you, we, we do life together. So notice this, we're joined and knit together by what every joint supplies by what we do for each other based on what we've been given. So you aren't what you do, you do what you are. So first you become, then you give. And it says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And the word for effective working means energy. It means it flames on when every part does its share. It means everybody does something. That's why I never have to twist, I shouldn't have to twist anybody's arm to serve here. There should be 50 people lined up for the children's ministry. But you're never gonna line up until you're crammed full and overflowing and God says, I put, a, put something in you for kids and that's your strength or sound or worship or ushering or greeting or whatever it is. It means that you're dying to serve, but you don't know and you say, you know what? I'm signing up for Saturdays cleaning the church and it doesn't matter if anybody looks or sees me because I know God sees because it's in God's sight. 
And so it works when everybody does its share. And here's what it causes growth for the body by, for the edifying of itself in love. So we edify each other in love and in, ter- in turn, the body is built up, okay? This is my last point. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were battling disunity and they were battling complaining. Israel was divided. Just three days out from Mount Sinai, again, they were complaining and they were divided. And what was happening was, you can look at verse one, if you wanna pull it up, Numbers 11, verse one. You had a group of people that came out of Egypt with the Israelites that were called the mixed multitude. And the mixed multitude were polytheistic. They weren't original Israelites. Maybe some believed, maybe some didn't. But it was the people that were complaining about how good they thought they had it back in their bondage and in Egypt. Now, they had already complained a lot of times because this is post-Mount Sinai. So when they come out of Egypt, I mean, right off the bat, they get hemmed up at the Red Sea, and what do they say? As soon as they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they get to, the, to uh, Mara. They get to the bitter lagoon or pond. It's a test. And they complain because they don't have water. Then they complain because they don't have all these other things, food. And then they get to Sinai and they experience God on the mountain. They complain about the fire and the thunder. And then they leave past Mount Sinai just three days and they started complaining and God starts sending lightning strikes on the outskirts of the camp. The people are complaining, it's a mess. Now I'll paraphrase a lot of the chapter for you. Suddenly Moses starts complaining. And Moses says, Lord, I didn't ask for these people. (laughs) It'd be like me saying, God, I didn't ask for all these people at Rock City Church. Moses starts saying, God, you picked me. You're the one that beget them. Just take me home and kill me now. Moses goes into a pit of despair himself. Now, God doesn't even respond to Moses's complaint. Instead, what I want you to see is how culture and kingdom normal transforms people's lives and what I believe kingdom normal is at Rock City. Numbers eleven sixteen. The Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tabernacle and meeting and they may stand there with you. And then verse 17, I'll walk, I'll come down and talk with you there. And I'll take the spirit that is on you and I'm gonna put it on them so that they can do what? Because Moses can't do it alone. He would need a body. He would need a family. And Moses at that time was the only one that God had put the Holy Spirit upon as his leader. So what the Lord was saying is I'm gonna take the daily experiences that you have had in the secret place and intimately, and I'm gonna publicly reveal them to strengthen the people together with you so that they have a shared experience and will help you carry the weight. Because you can't carry the weight with me till you have the shared experiences. I teach it to you all the time, Romans 1, 11, and 12. Without shared experiences and impartations, there's no establishment. There's no mutual benefiting with each other. So this is God's answer to complaining is he says, I'm gonna t- I'm, they're gonna have an encounter and they're gonna see and hear what you've been seeing and hearing daily. God would bring public what Moses was experiencing personally at the tabernacle. 
And the only way that God would design things to be resolved would be to raise up people that would have this encounter and to transfer the Holy Spirit over to their life so that they could now understand in a greater measure what God was trying to do. Now, we live in post-Pentecost day, meaning that we can live with the Holy Spirit at all times. We can live with the experience at all times. But I want you to read what happened in verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people, and he placed them around the tabernacle. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took the spirit of what was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them, guess what they did? Now, here's what I want you to notice that they didn't do. They didn't get five better principles to live your best life now. They didn't get six steps to being a better leader. He didn't say, I'm gonna write a manual on leadership. Now, I'm for leadership, and I've got a lot of leadership principles, but what I really want you to see and understand is that when prophecy, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they started prophesying, guess what they became? God's mouthpiece. And that's what God wants you to be. Now they spoke, and they had an experience that was like Moses's, and now there was a relation, and so the way that the people could bear the weight was the power of the Holy Spirit and prophecy. The entire church is built on the prophets, guys. This is an apostolic prophetic church. This is a church designed to cause you to begin to move in the power of God, be full of the Holy Spirit, and carry the weight equally and together with everybody else, not be isolated and alone. This is normal. It may seem abnormal to so many of us because we don't come from churches like this. But what I want you to understand is prophecy doesn't mean I'm always walking around saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. I got a word for you, I got a word for you, I got a word for you. No, what it means is I now have this experience that's established me and I'm now so confident and intimate with the Lord that I can speak life to you at all times. And so all the people that were divided and complaining, that can be resolved because there's now an infiltration of God's presence, life, power, the Holy Spirit, and now we're instruments being used by him, not our own agenda. That's what that means. That's why we have to have shared experiences. We have to have unity, synergy, the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have leaders that are walking in the fullness of what God has for them. We have to have these in the local church culture or there'll be no building of his body. Let's all stand.